work. <laughs> Alright, well, good morning, family. That's better than coffee, wasn't it? Alright, well, for those who don't know me, I am Sean. I am the associate pastor here at 116 Bible Church in Watauga. And man, it is nice to see all of these beautiful, lovely, smiling faces that are ready and so eager to dive into God's Word and to worship and serve the living God. Um, thank you for, uh, for bearing with my wife and I. We took a brief hiatus at the end of last year uh, to focus on our family, to focus on um, trying to start a family, and by the grace of God, if you haven't heard already, we are expecting. Um, praise the Lord. Uh, very happy. This has been five years in the making, and a lot of a uh, lot of tears, a lot of a uh, lot of emotional nights, a lot of months uh, with broken hearts. Um, and we appreciate all the prayers of our church family. Um, we could not, we couldn't be happier. Um, we find out this Thursday how many. Uh, so <laughs> we will keep you informed. Um, as we continue down this journey that God, by His grace, has us on. Well, if you've been around for any length of time, um, you know I am not much one for steering away from the established series that we're going through. So, if you would please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We will pick up where Brother Jeff left off um, once upon a time. I don't remember how long ago that was. Um, 1 Samuel will be in chapter 10. Memory serves. He did verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Um, so I, I will be going through verse 9, um, but I'm going to read 1 and 2 also within context. So that is 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10. We'll be beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 9. If you are able, I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. That is 1 Samuel, chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And the word of God says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Then you have, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, one carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion 
demand. Your translation may say, as your hands find to do, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you shall do. And then verse 9. So it was, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we... We have been privileged. We have been honored to open a book and read your words. Father, this is this is tremendous. This is such a blessed privilege. Lord, may we treat it as such. May we hold these words to be your very words. Father, and during our time together, we pray that your spirit would illuminate your words and show us your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Everybody brace yourselves. I've been told to check for my hand. Testing. Good. Okay. Here we go. All right. Well, let's go ahead and kick things off in the only way I know how. And that's by offering a review. So, where have we been so far? Well, we opened the book of Samuel and we are introduced to a couple who is having trouble conceiving a son. Or having trouble conceiving a child at all. Um, and then, by God's grace, they are granted this child. His name is Samuel. And they, uh, take the, they take Samuel to the temple, and they um, give him essentially over to service in the temple for... Uh, maybe that's better. So and they, uh, they give him over to service in the temple before God and man. Um, and it is there that we meet the high priest, we meet his sons who are... Not good guys. We'll just say it that way. Not good guys. Um, and uh, we see as the house of Eli is fading away, is being done away with by God, Samuel is being raised up. And uh, Samuel leads, or I said, judges Israel. Um, he's kind of a transitionary character. Um, he acts as both judge and then as we see here as prophet. Um, and he does... Um, he judges Israel. He leads them um, in prayer and fasting before the Lord to help conquer their enemies, the Philistines. Um, and then, not not one chapter later, we see the people of God saying, "Now we want a king." And so God says, "Okay, I'll give you a king." And what they want is a king who looks good. You know, he's tall, he's handsome. Um, wears that suit, fills out that suit of armor real good, and look. 
looks picture perfect leading the charge. That's what they want. So that's what God gives them. Enter Saul. And how are we introduced to Saul? Well, he is the son of a man whose donkeys he has lost. And he goes out searching for them. Him and his servant. And he goes about it in a terrible way. Not methodical. Not no reason to run. He just goes wherever he goes seeing if he can find the donkeys there. Uh, and then finally comes to the point to where the servant says, let's go consult Samuel the prophet. Um, he lives around here somewhere. Let's go. Let's go to him. See if he can help us with these donkeys. So they go. And in that, uh, in this encounter with Samuel the prophet, um, it is revealed that uh, Saul is um, Saul is the promised king, um, or the king that Israel is looking for, and that's the one God has chosen. Um, and so. We see here that um, Samuel tells Saul about this, telling him that God is raising him up to, essentially to um, lead Israel in the defeat of their enemies. And um, there's this nice scene in the temple where Saul is offered uh, is offered food that is fit for a king. And then we come to uh, the passage that Brother Jeff preached on most recently. In this book, um, the anointing of Saul by Samuel. And as Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And Brother Jeff has uh, done a great job flushing out this verse, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but just really showing that the importance of what's going on here up until this point, Who's been anointed? Only priests. Priests exclusively in the Bible up to this point are the ones who have been anointed. And at this point, we're showing that the king of Israel is not just a political office, it's a religious office. This is, this is not just a man who is, who is ruling over a country as he sees fit. This is a man who is representing God to God's people. So Samuel anoints him with oil and kisses him. And says, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander, your translation may say ruler, leader, over his inheritance. His, this word inheritance is very, very important. Your translation may say heritage, that's fine too. The, the point being... Has God not made you commander, ruler, leader over that which is most precious to him? Over his people. Not over the land necessarily, just the land, but the people who inhabit the land. Has God not anointed you as ruler over, this, over his inheritance, over that which he cherishes? And it's only phrased in a question for effect. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, God has anointed you leader, ruler, over his inheritance. And then Samuel goes on to say, when you have departed from it, your, your verse one might be a little bit longer, that's okay. 
Um, verse 2 goes on to say, When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is now worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? And this is what Saul talked about earlier. Saul was ready to cut ties and go back home before the donkeys had been found, before the job was done. And so we're seeing that though this guy fits Israel's qualifications, he doesn't fit God's qualifications for him. But God is giving them what they ask for. And in that, he is cursing their blessing. So then that brings us to verse 3, where we will pick up today. And Samuel says, Then you shall go on forward from there, that is, the tomb of Rachel in Zelza, in the territory of Benjamin, and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. Your translation may say the oak of Tabor. If you have an older translation, it may even say the plains of Tabor. The idea here is there's a very distinct landmark that we all know, and you're going to find yourself there. There, three men going up to God at Bethel, which as you recall means the house of God, will meet you, one carrying three young goats, so a big guy, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. So on his way, on his way back home, or on his way to this town, this area that Samuel is instructing him, Saul is going to come across three more men. So he comes across two men who are going to tell him, hey, doctor's been found, your dad's worried sick, go home. Then they're going to come across three men who are on their way up to worship God at Bethel. And this, the significance of this is that these three men going up to God at Bethel, carrying three things which are very obvious signs of worship. They are going to worship God at Bethel, at the house of God. And carrying with them three goats for sacrifice, uh, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. So we have a burnt offering. Um, we have uh, we have a, uh, a bread offering, a grain offering, and we have a drink offering. These guys carrying three things. Going up to worship God according to the custom of the time. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Now this is kind of a big deal. Because this is... This is sacred bread. This is bread made and set aside for the worship of God. And yet these three young men are going to give Saul and his companion two loaves. And this is going to confirm in the mind of Saul that maybe Samuel's not a crazy old man after all. Maybe there's something to what he's saying. Because clearly... Saul is reluctant to take kingship or to take on the kingship. But here we have we have Samuel saying, no, you're going to be king. Here, this is what you're going to do as king. 
And just to show you I'm not playing around, here are the signs. This is what's going to happen. And these three young men giving them two loaves of bread set aside for worship. You don't do that for just anybody. Something like this happens in one other place in Scripture that I can think of. And that is where David and his men are, uh, are out and about and they come, to, they come to the temple and they are hungry. And the priests give them the showbread. This is an acknowledgement of authority, an acknowledgement of God-given authority. This giving of this gifting of the bread from these from these worshippers, from these people, these young men to Saul. This is an acknowledgement of authority. And this is very important to Saul and to the people of Israel. And Samuel says, not only are they going to give you these two loaves of bread, but you're going to take it. The idea, not, not simply being that a, a prophetic word, oh, you're going to take the bread because you're hungry. The idea being, you must take the bread. This must happen. You have to take the bread in order not just for the sign to be fulfilled, but for your rulership, your kingship to be confirmed. If not in your eyes, beginning in the eyes of the people. After that, you shall come to the hill of God. Your translation may say, Gibeah Elohim, I believe, where the Philistine garrison is. Now that's a problem. Because now we're talking about, we're still in, we're still in the nation state of Israel. We're still in the land of the tribes. Um, and Samuel is saying, you're, gonna, you're going to go to Gibeah Elohim, why he believed to be, this was Samuel's home, or Saul's home, rather. And what are you going to find there is a Philistine garrison. Now, I don't know if you know this, but invading forces setting up an outpost in your territory is not a good sign. It's a very bad sign. It means they've encroached to the point to where they can set up something semi-permanent in your territory without fear of it being overrun. There, it's, a, it's essentially an, a, a, a statement, a proclamation of we've come this far and we're going to keep going. So Samuel tells him, you're going to go to the hill of God, Elohim, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to that city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. So what, what's going on here? What, what's with this group of prophets? What is happening? What's all, what is all this going on? Well... We see this a lot later on in the once the monarchy is firmly established, but um, this group of prophets, this was essentially some it was something you could study. Um, and the idea of prophecy here may not necessarily be fortune telling or, or telling the future, but simply worshiping and proclaiming the word of God to the people. And these people are doing it with music. Now in pagan cultures, um, this was done to Essentially, 
bring the prophets into a trance-like state um, to where they would uh, be mentally separated from their from themselves enough to to give a prophecy. Um, but what we're seeing here is that this band of prophets is loosened enough to play these instruments. So it is different in the household of God than it is outside. Whereas the outside, the, the cults, the false religions, these groups that claim to have truth but know not truth in himself, will will stir up stir them up into a frenzy, stir up their prophets, their teachers, their their preachers into a frenzy in order to get them to proclaim whatever word from whatever God, small b that they worship. But these prophets these prophets are present and present enough to continue playing these instruments. And to do so in such a way was not to just not to just signify their sobriety, but to signify the authenticity of any word that they proclaim. And any word that they proclaim, again, may not necessarily be be forthcoming or future telling, but it would be that which is God has for his people at the time. And this is this whole this whole band of prophets, their their setup is designed to point people to God, to worship God, to praise God, to to bring him or to bring people into a state of praise. Is that not what we just did? Is that not what we just did up here? We were blessed by by a band of brothers and sisters who played instruments and sang to usher us into the presence of God in order to prepare us for praise. It is different in, in the household of God than it is in all other false religions. It is different because it has to be. Because it's true. So, here, in the household of God, it is designed to not, not whip us up into a frenzy, but to bring us low. To humble us. To bring us to a place of submission to the Word of God. Whereas, on the outside, it's to get everybody as wild, riled up and as crazy as possible in order to do whatever it is you want and call it worship. That's not, that's, that is not the God that we serve. The God we serve is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. That's exactly right. He's not interested in your ecstatic and chaotic mumblings. He's not interested in our ridiculous and uh, hyper-charismatic uh, behaviors, lashing out, screaming, shouting, dancing. He's not interested in you acting crazy for the sake of acting crazy. He's interested in you being brought low and humble and submissive to the word preached. That's the God that we serve. The, the, the preparation is not designed 
to make us emotional wrecks. It's designed to get us emotionally and spiritually and mentally ready. <coughs> so Saul is going to come across this band of prophets. And they will be playing instruments and they will be prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, Saul. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And if that just isn't a great picture in the Old Testament of what happens in the moment of salvation, I don't know what is. The Spirit of the Lord, my translation says, will come upon you. Your translation might put it a little bit better. Um, the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. The Spirit of the Lord will, will descend upon you quickly and aggressively. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Friends, brothers and sisters, when God saved you, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon you and you became another person. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying here that in this particular instance that it's talking exclusively about Saul becoming a Christian or a, a true follower, that he was made new in the sense of salvation. But it is, without a doubt, one of the clearest pictures of what happens to New Testament believers when they come to Christ. The Spirit of, the Spirit of God comes upon you, rushes upon you, And you are made a new person. And having been made a new person, what can you do if not prophesy in the sense of preach the gospel? What else can you do as a new person other than proclaim the good news of what has happened to you, what Christ has done, and take that out with you into the world? That's the point. That right here is the point, is that a new man does not sit idly by. A new man is not content to go to heaven alone. A new man is not content to keep his mouth shut. But a new man is instead moved, motivated, pushed, propelled. To proclaim the good news of what has happened to him. And this is Saul at this exact moment. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. So after running into two men who tell him that the donkeys have been found and your dad's worried about you, go home to the three men who are going up to Bethel to worship God and give him two pieces of bread set aside for worship. And then the band of prophets who are 
uh, who are coming uh, or, co- or going down the city streets and are singing and dancing and prophesying. And not only that, but the best side, where the Spirit of God rushes upon him and he's made a new man. And he prophesies himself, which causes quite a bit of stir, uh, as we'll see later. Samuel says, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands. Now there's a couple of occasions going on here, and they all demand a little something. So the first occasion being that, well, Saul is prophesying with this group of prophets. Um, so he does as the occasion demands um, and he prophesies with, with them as the spirit of God has moved him too but the occasion outside of that is what? the Philistine garrison and as Samuel has said God is raising up Saul to lead Israel in the fight against their enemies And what we will see is that what the occasion demands, what Saul's hand finds to do, is to lead the charge against the Philistine garrison. But in that moment, Samuel is saying, don't sit and do nothing and think you're being spiritual. Don't sit and do nothing and think that it's okay. I have permission to be lazy. He's saying, do what your hand finds to do. And that is the point, is that because he's being raised up as Israel's leader, he is not being appointed to sit and wait and do nothing with the feeling of internal justification. Instead, he is being appointed to lead the charge against Israel's enemies and to push them out of the city of Gibeah Elohim. And that is a beautiful picture of what God expects of us. Brother and sister, you have not been saved to sit and do nothing and slap a spiritual sticker on it and saying, I'm waiting for the waiting for the big guy to get here. That is not why we have been saved. That is not why God had that's not why God sent his son to put on human flesh, live a hard life in first century Palestine or Israel or the Roman Empire or however you want to refer to it as and then have a three year ministry where there are some ups, some big crowds but also full of faithlessness and death threats and not being welcomed and then not just that, a prolonged and ridiculous trial in kangaroo court that ultimately ends up to him getting the death sentence. 
God didn't send his son to go through all that so that his people could sit and lay back and do nothing and say, it's okay. I've got permission. No, instead, he has commanded us in the meantime to do what our hand finds to do. What does our hand find to do? What does the situation demand? What does the occasion require? It is for God's people to get up off their blessed assurance and go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he went through all that. Jesus Christ went through all of that to bring salvation. And not just, not just for us only, but for the whole world. For all those who are called by his name. And why do we preach? Because there is no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved. So if there is no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved, how can we keep it to ourselves selfishly? How can we hold on to it tenaciously without ever giving it in, without ever sharing it with anyone else? How can we do that? That's, that's not holiness. That's not the gospel. That's pride. And that's laziness. And don't think I'm coming to you as somebody who is batting a thousand in the evangelism department. I fail daily. I fail daily proclaiming the gospel in my own home. So I know it's not easy. I know it's hard. I know that regardless of regardless of how good I think I'm doing, I could be doing better. I know that. But Christ succeeding where we fail is not an excuse to not try. It's the reason to try harder. It's the reason to preach louder. It's the reason to proclaim more boldly. It's the reason to go farther. That's right. Do as the occasion demands. Why? For God is with you. Brother and sister, you do not go alone. You do not go outside of the presence of God when you go. When you go, you go with the presence of God. And God himself has assured us that there is victory. There is Success in proclaiming the gospel. What that looks like may be exactly the opposite of what we think it should look like. But there is success because his word 
does not return void, but it goes out and accomplishes his purpose and returns to him successfully. And obviously the most prominent example of that is the embodiment of the word himself, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came and his death was not the end. His death did not signify failure. His death did not signify defeat. His death did not signify the death of God himself. But death could not hold him. And the grave could not keep him. And he rose again in the power of the Spirit and returned to his Father. Seated at the right hand, successful, triumphant, accomplishing that which he, which he was sent to do. And Samuel says, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices and peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you shall do. Saul is to go to the city of Gilgal after he does what the occasion requires. And he waits seven days in Gilgal until Samuel comes to him and they offer offerings and they make sacrifices and then Saul is instructed in the first stage of his public ordination and finally verse 9 so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day God is not just the God of signs he's not just the God of of posts and miracles. He's the God of new beginnings. He's the God of not just fresh starts in the cheap sense that we that the world tends to make it out today, but he is the God of rebirth. He is the God of being born again, being made new, being turned into a new person a new creature when the old has passed away. And that's what God does to those who are drawn to him through the preaching of the gospel of his son Jesus Christ. So as God's children, let us not let's not rob anyone whom God brings to us of that blessed hope. But instead, may we proclaim the gospel. I'm not saying anyone's salvation depends on you. I'm saying we have a job to do. We have been commissioned. And we see that clearly at the end of Matthew. We have been commissioned to go and to preach and to baptize and to teach. So don't rob the people in your life of that blessed assurance. Instead, 
Let's get up and let's go and let's do what our hand finds to do in this dark and dying world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne, Lord, and we we thank you for what we've seen today in your word. Lord, we thank you for even in the example of someone like Saul, there is so much, there is so much for your people. There is so much that you have for your people. Lord, even in the giving, the, even in the giving to Israel, what they thought they wanted, you sh- you remind us of the gift that we actually needed. So, Lord, prepare us, move us by your Spirit, who has given us a new heart forward and away from this building into the world to proclaim the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, the only name by which men must be saved. May we never take that for granted, but may we instead proclaim it loudly and clearly for all to hear and for your elect to be drawn to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.